You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Hello, my name is Marcus Noel, and today on Path of Love, we're looking at David Youngren's book, Awakening to I Am Love. Chapter two, what is love? In this chapter, I am very excited to talk to David about because he touches on so many topics from marriage to children to all types of things when it comes to love. And one of the things he said was, for many, love refers to the babe you married until you want a divorce, the baby you give birth to until they until he grows up and slams the door in your face telling you he hates you. The steakhouse down the road until you become a vegan or the dream job you worked hard to get until you can't stand it because it runs your life. So what conclusion can we come to other than love is complicated? Hey, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's always so nice to be with you and to talk about, I think, this kind of uh, subject that everybody seems to know, but at the same time, I'm not sure anybody knows. And, and, um, and that's the subject of what is love. Yeah, the first, your second chapter in your book, again, Awakening to I Am Love, is called What is Love? Um, I was very excited when I heard different things at the beginning of the book that just, it brought you to reality. It was, you, you just, at the very beginning, you brought people to okay, this is what really happens in life. And this is the, the struggles that you may deal with in every day from marriage to house to steakhouses. That was funny. <laughs> well, you know, my purpose for writing it that way was twofold because on one level, I think this is the problem when you try to describe love. It's one of those things that, you know, I worked on it. I wrote this chapter in this book. And I made, after that, I have written many different things trying to define love. But love in many ways can never be defined. It is something that you have to experience, something that you can only experience. And so the second thing that I thought about love is that most of us interpret love through the egoic mind. So all these examples that I gave is basically saying, okay, well, if that's love, it's not that exciting, you know, okay, well, you, you marry the babe and then she wants to get a divorced or you have this baby and you know, this beautiful baby. And then they scream and holler at you and they say, I don't like you. You're the worst parent ever. And they run out of the house or you say, I love my steak. It's the greatest steak in the world, but <laughs> then you become a vegan and you don't love it anymore. So it kind of feels like this love is very schizophrenic. And I wanted to point that out. The purpose was to point out that that is not really love. But a lot of people use the word love. And you said in the book, the word love um, is like a risk on stepping on landmines when you use that word. I think a lot of people identify with that because they're afraid to use that word love. Because it means so many different things to so many different people. And, you know, and we have all these associations as well. And we kind of talk about that in the book that a lot of us associate love with painful rejection. So someone tells you they love you. And, but then, you know, they somehow or another reject you or they leave you in the case of, you know, 
someone is leaving you, or maybe as a child, your parents said they would do something for you and they never did that. And so it's associated with all these negative emotions. So then people say, well, I don't know if I'm, you know, love is just too complicated. I'm afraid of love. I'm afraid of the whole notion of love. Can I be loved? And how can I feel good about love? Because I'm not sure that I can trust love. And I think a lot of people go through that. Do you, so how do you define God is love? Because it says God is love. If God is love and love to me and me as just being devil's advocate is I've had a bad time growing up. I've had issues with my father. I've had situations in a marriage and love doesn't, isn't pretty in any of those situations. How could God be love and in that, in that? Well, God is love, but not according to our definition of love. Many people have this notion, and even you think about this logically sometimes. I, when you've been raised in a religious environment and you've been told that God is love, but then you cannot detect all these qualities in God that doesn't seem like true love to you. For example, that this God is this temper that sends people to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. But what if you never heard about Jesus? What if you're, you know, born in a country where they never even mentioned the name and you, maybe you broke the Sabbath, you know, as, as we've heard in Christianity, if you break one of the commandments, you've broken them all. So if you break the Sabbath, which is everybody has done, then you are sent for eternity to hell and you just, question in your mind, is that truly, if that is love, I'm not sure I, I, I understand love. It's something I don't even want. because And, and then we, we present God in a way of, he just needs our worship. Well, that to me sounds like a narcissist. If you know he needs our worship to somehow another to feel good about himself. So we, we continually have to just tell him how wonderful he is, how great he is. Well, that is a typical definition of a narcissist. So that tells me that maybe we have all this idea of what God is. God is love. Love is God, you could say. Maybe we have misinterpreted both of those words, God and love. So there's a lot of preachers out there that tell you that you're going to be burned in hell if you don't accept God and accept this, this notion that you, you have to be a certain way. I mean, you have angry punishment that's going to happen to you. There's all these things that are going to, it, it, it puts a fear in you that, okay, am I not doing something right? And why would I even want to be a part of this? And it's interesting when you bring up fear, because fear, as we read about in this chapter, is the opposite of love. Fear, according to biblical texts, perfect love casts out all fear. And so it is the opposite of fear. But so much of what you're suggesting is that many things we're told about God does not feel like love. In fact, it produces fear within us. Fear that we are not measuring up, that we're not good enough for the high standards that God has for us, and that we somehow or another will be disqualified from 
eternal life with God, and we're going to be sent to hell for eternity to suffer punishment in a lake of fire. That doesn't sound like love to me. And I think a lot of people who may not have been raised in a Christian environment would then begin to question everything they heard about God because it doesn't make any sense to any logical mind. So to me, when I look at this question of God and question of love, I, I began to look at that and again, what really is love? And when I studied it and the more I thought about it, more I contemplated it, I began to realize it's so different than what I would have ever, could have ever imagined or thought. It's just, it's just so beautiful. And it's funny how, after what you just explained, how someone can turn around and say, but God loves you. How do you say that after you have a preacher telling you God's going to put you into the lake of fire if you don't, you don't love him or you don't, you don't follow this way or you don't follow that way. And then they turn around and say, oh, but God loves you. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, we have all these categories. People, our God know, is love. That's what you say. Yeah. So if you if you if you act a certain way, if you're a certain kind of a person, or you know, then you are going to be sent to hell. And and so it just doesn't make any sense. That, but I think it's because we have misunderstood these terms. They are mental concept in our mind, and that's I think is what what I'm trying to communicate throughout this chapter is that there are mental concepts in our mind that the egoic mind, and we get more into the ego mind later on in the book, but what the egoic mind has interpreted to be love, it's not love at all, but it has a, you know, the egoic mind has interpreted to be love because it makes sense to the person. So, you know, we get into that a little bit later on and we'll, we can get into that today as well a bit. So you also said love is neither an emotion. Can you elaborate on that as well? Well, emotions are thoughts that create a sensation within you. And when you actually look at the, the original meaning of the word emotion, it actually comes from a Latin word. And that Latin word means to distract, to disturb, to agitate, to stir up, to move away or move out. So what is implied is that your natural state is one of love, peace, and joy, and inner love, joy, and peace. But then anything that kind of distracts you from what your true essence is, is an emotion. So in that sense, uh, when you think of love, love is at the very core essence, it's your, the essence of your spirit, your pure awareness, consciousness. It is your recognition that you are one with God or that part within you, that dimension within you beyond thoughts that is one with God. It's just pure awareness. When you step into that kind of a world of living just every moment and just feeling this great sense of peace, you're living in the now, you're living in the present moment. So an emotion is something that, I'm sorry, I can hear some noise going on around me, but I hope that doesn't distract anybody. But an emotion is then is something that kind of pulls you away from that. And it's a thought in your mind. So, for example, if you're an investment, let me say you're an investment broker and you, you have your stocks and suddenly 
the stock market tumbles and you may have been in a place of peace and rest. You've been, maybe have, maybe you were meditating beforehand and you just felt such an incredible joy and love and peace. And suddenly something happens. One of your investments or the stock market completely, um, you know, turns south and in, in a few moments you lose a lot of money. Well, that is an emotion. It's something that distracts you from your true essence. It's something where you get lost in your mind. If someone says something negative or something happens to you, you your spouse hands you divorce papers or the lawyer of your spouse hands you divorce papers. What does it do? It distracts you. It is an emotion that distracts you. You get caught up in a state of being that is contrary to your true essence. Your true essence is your spirit this invisible, indivisible essence that lies beyond your thoughts, your, your pure awareness, your consciousness. And so, as I said before, anything that disturbs the natural flow of love and shifts your awareness from the present moment to dwelling on the past or dwelling on future expectations because in the case of the stock market, you think, well, what's going to happen to me if I lose all my money? All those kinds of thoughts are rooted in fear. And that essentially is what I mean, that that's not love. Love is not an emotion because emotions are rooted in fear. So in short, you say love is energy. is, And you were speaking of the wind, but the wind, when the wind blows... It makes you feel a certain way. So how would you describe love being the energy, the force behind the wind? Let me just first perhaps answer the question why love is energy and then kind of related to the spirit or the wind. But when I say that love is energy, I think about it this way, that the universe is made up of energy and that energy comes in many different forms. We have light, we have heat, you have gravitational energy, all of that you can't see. You can't, well, I guess you can see the evidence of the light, but you don't necessarily see the light itself. Although you see the sun, you definitely don't see heat. Although you see the evidence of heat, you don't see gravitation, although you see the evidence of gravitation. So, in so many ways, the essence, and I, and I made reference to this earlier, the essence of the universe is energy. And if the essence of the universe is energy, then it would only, to me, make sense that the invisible, uh, indivisible, and invisible unify energy field that un undergirds all existence is love. And that love is a source of life. God is love. And so we kind of have further proved through quantum physics that this is the case. You know, they quantum physics now demonstrated all particles and objects are linked to the presence of an observer or consciousness. And my whole way of talking about love is then is that this is energy that that love is the fundamental energy that generates new life and urges the universe toward greater unity. That's ultimately is what, why, why I suggest that love is energy. So then going back to when you're talking about wind and spirit, this is of course a very spiritual matter. We talk about God 
And of course, long before we had the terminology that we have today, we talk about consciousness, I talk about quantum physics, I, you know, before we had the internet, before we had television, they didn't have any of this. And so they then began to relay what intuitively spoke of God. And when it came to the word spirit, the word spirit means, as I said, means wind or breath. And as you pointed out, wind or breath. What we're saying is, is that that wind or breath is, is invisible. You can't see it. It's like energy that you can't see. Going back to the word energy again. And so that is a picture of the divine presence that undergirds all reality that is in you. Uh, Jesus, of course, then adds a whole new dimension to this when he begins to refer to God as Father. And so he, what he was doing, he was basically making this impersonal energy because it sounds very impersonal, right? Like when we say that love is energy, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. When, I, when you say that I am energy, it doesn't sound very exciting. So terms that we can relate to is Father. And so Jesus said that he was in the Father. The Father was in him. They were in him and they were in the Father. That, and then later Paul says, that, that God is above all, through all, and in all. That, that all of creation, the Father, the Spirit, is that consciousness that is foundational, fundamental to the universe. And the energy, the energy behind it is love. And that energy is then that which moves us toward a greater awareness of our oneness, of our union with one another. And that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, you are in me, I'm in the Father, and God is above all, through all, and in all. The Father is above all, through all, and in all. In him we live and move and have our being. All those biblical texts make reference to this same thing, that at the very core, the energy that undergirds all reality is love. And when you say to become one, is that based upon a marriage or is it based upon anything? Well, you know, I get into this into the book about how love is connected to oneness. So, for example, think about this in when you were born. You probably won't remember when you were born, Marcus, but just imagine <laughs> for a moment when you were born. You came out of your mother's womb. You were one with your mother in her womb, right? And then you came out, and there was this connection we had with our mother and with our father. In, in the first, they, they say for so many months, I can't remember exactly how many months, but a child feels like they're part still of the mother. There's, they still feel, they don't, they don't know the separation, not aware of the separation. They are... They're aware of their union. They don't see themselves as self is what ends at my skin, you know, but they see themselves as part of the whole. And ultimately, love is connected to oneness. It's, you know, when your dog or cat snuggles up to you, what do you feel? You feel, you feel like you call it love, you know, you're just mm -hmm. loving with that 
dog or you're sitting there with your friends or you're sitting there with your loved ones and you kind of you talk about it as love because there is a connection there is a unity there is a sense of oneness uh, i think i tell a story in the book about my son i don't know if you remember that but mm -hmm. he went to Coldplay when they were playing at rose bowl in uh, los angeles and he was talking about the energy was so incredible in that place and you know, he was both in tears and joy. And, and, and I said to him, well, probably it was because when you all were singing together, there was a sense of unity between all of you. And there, that's the moment you experience this incredible rush of energy. And it felt like love. That's why you kind of have tears in your eyes. You're full of joy because everybody was singing together. It was like a, you were coming together as one. Do you feel that it's more... You people use the word unconditional, meaning on a level of awareness. Um, I, I feel unconditional and awareness should be in the same category. Do you see? Do you believe that? Yeah, no question. Because when you're completely aware and completely present, when you move beyond thoughts, it is unconditional. Love. The, what you feel at that moment is unconditional. So, for example, in the story of my son, when they were singing together that song, well, you were not judging anything. You were not putting any conditions. You were just singing together. You were not checking out, well, you know, I don't like that person over there. I don't like that person over there. You were just, you were just as one in that place, joining together, singing with Coldplay. And that, was, that created this synergy. This, that created that energy. And we call that love. And that's that's one of the feelings that people, they strive for, they want to have. And even at the beginning of a marriage, some people, they do have that, you know, and then things change and life changes. And like you said at the beginning of the book, life throws curveballs. So what do you do and how do you facilitate our walk a life of, love when those curveballs are thrown part of the problem is that many people enter into a relationship through artificial love not true love what do I, what do i mean by that i love you you when you look at the beautiful gorgeous girl you're dating marcus what is it there's an attraction there's something about that person that makes you feel better about yourself it makes you feel desirable makes you feel good about yourself so it's rooted in self in selfishness in so many ways the more you're together the sense of separation will increase between the two of you because ultimately a false love is always rooted in fear is always rooted in separation for truly love to work it is to see yourself as being them, to be in them. You remember what Jesus said, and I always find this so interesting. Jesus said, love uh, your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love your neighbor as much as yourself. You've heard preachers say this, that, you know, you got to love yourself first so that you can love others. It doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as they would be you. Jesus talked about, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. I'm in the naked, I'm in the prisoner, I'm in the alien. Jesus identified with others. 
And that was a manifestation of love. That was the revelation of love. I, I think I bring this up, and you may want to jump in with a question, but I bring up this interesting Hebrew concept where the word for love is a hava, hava. Numerology, in Hebrew numerology, the letters in that word add up to 13. And then you take the word for, for one, and the word for one in Hebrew is ehad, and when you add up the numbers, when you add up the numbers in the Hebrew numerology for that word, it also adds up to 13. So 13, ahav, ahava, and ehad, one, and love are synonymous, and which is very, very interesting. And then this is so fascinating to me. When you take 13 plus 13, what, what does it become? It becomes 26, Six. right? Mm-hmm. And when you use the word Yahweh, and you look that in the Hebrew numerology, it also adds up to 26. So you see here how oneness is always connected to love. So it's like the energy, this incredible energy that we feel is when we begin to connect with another person. I know it sounds like theory. This sounds like a lot of theory, but think about it when you go to a wedding Mm-hmm. And maybe someone you you know very close to you, maybe it's your sister or somebody like that, and you see them at the front, and they are now getting married, and suddenly you feel all these emotions. Why? Because you identify with them. It's like it's part of you is in them up there at the, on stage, and when you watch a good movie and it's something that relates to your life, and you suddenly. F- feel all emotional, you know, not us men, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You get all emotional. Why do we get emotional? Because we can identify with it. So you brought up a wedding and it is funny that does happen. You find yourself holding the hand of your wife or your, your um, significant other while that other person's sharing their vows and sharing their love with each other. And as you said, love being an energy, do you feel that that energy spreads throughout the audience of a wedding, just like it would spread throughout how you are joyous as you're walking through life, whistling down the street, singing a song, you know, and it just makes someone else happy as they as they pass you? Do you feel like that's the same thing? Absolutely. Love is the consciousness of belonging to another. It's being part of a whole, to encounter the other, not as a stranger, but as another part of oneself. Love is this revelation. The more we awaken within to our oneness to all things, the more we become aware of love. And so these little things, for example, when you forgive somebody, when someone has done you wrong and you've been hurt, when you forgive someone, what are you doing essentially? You are extending a hand toward wholeness. You are detaching from the us versus them, them being terrible and me, you know, they, them being wrong. It's the same thing when you think about the racial issues, when you begin to identify with the other when you feel their pain, when you feel their 
sorrow and, and, and all the things that they're going through, then you, you become aware of this energy of love. So if you're aware of the energy of love, how does fear oppose that energy? How does fear oppose that love? And what, what, what can you do to counteract that in your mind? Fear, of course, is an energy that originates in your mind. Fear is based on something that happened in the past, and now we may project that onto our future. Fear reinforces that I'm alone. I'm by myself. Nobody understands me. Fear enforces an image that we have of ourselves of being separated from everyone else. Think about it this way. If you ask someone, where's the universe? We always think the universe is out there. Mm -hmm. Reality is that we all are one. We're all part of the universe. So if you were looking at, if you were sitting in a different universe and you looked over here, you would see us all as one. And if you would fly and you, if you were up in, in space, you look down on earth, you will see us all as one. You won't see us as separate individuals. You see us all as one. And Quantum mechanics confirm that ultimately we all won. That's just, that's just the reality. So fear is a thought that begins in the mind that points out and suggests that we are separated. And But love is that which brings us together again. Love is that divine God energy presence that manifests when we begin to unite with another, when we extend compassion, love, kindness, generosity to another. So like you said, while love is equivalent of one, our unity, fear is the equivalent of two, our separation. So when you're aware of, when you start to be aware of you, being aware that there's more than one person or more than one issue or other things that are boggling you down, you start to become separated from love. Is that right? Fear is being unconscious of your true self. Fear gets lost in stories in your mind. Fear is lost in thoughts. Fear is an illusion that you create in your mind. I tell a story in the book then, I think it's an interesting story, and I, and I kind of preface it with the fact that some of you may think I'm crazy for sharing this story, but, uh, but it, it's something that was really, really happening to me. I remember going one time here in San Diego to, to the mall, and I was ordering some Chipotle dinner, and I was talking to the cashier, and it was an interesting conversation. And as I was, you know, I've just been contemplating these things of, you know, we are one, you know, really, yeah, I see her as separate from me. And yes, on one level, we are separate. We're not the same. We're, we're apart. But on another level, on a invisible level, on spirit level, on that level that is beyond the physical form, we are one. And I was thinking about this and, and, and I, you know, as, 
even in biblical text, Paul said Christ is all and in all. So I, was, I began to think about this. And, you know, it says in biblical text, the Father is above all, through all and in all. In other words, in God we live and move and have our being. These are all words that the Apostle Paul talked about in the Bible, that there is a sense of wholeness. So I, I was just taken, uh, taken up by this thought that in everywhere, God is everywhere. But there is, I perceive my mind perceives separation. And that always creates a sense of fear within me. Fear of what, whether I will be accepted, fear whether I will be approved, fear whether I will, you know, be seen the right way, whether I will be enhanced, whether I will be, stand out. So as I turn around and walk away with my food, I suddenly, I see like it, it was a most unusual experience. It's like I'm caught up in this spirit realm or whatever you want to call it. And as I said, some of you may think I'm crazy, but I'm caught up in this spirit realm and I see everything as one. It's like I can see the connection and I see that people are milling around. They're walking around the mall and I see all these people and they're completely unaware of our union, of our oneness. But I see it and there's this incredible peace. And then I walk past this elderly Hispanic lady. And I looked at her, my eyes gazed on her and I looked into her eyes and I could tell that she was lost in her thoughts. She was not aware. I walked right past her and she didn't see me. She didn't recognize me because she was lost in her thoughts. And so many people are lost in their thoughts. And that's why they struggle with anxiety, with worry, with all kinds of fear, with jealousy, with apprehension, with this plethora of negative emotions, because they're not seeing with the eyes of God, so to speak. They're not seeing the whole. It seems like it's very easy to be lost in your thoughts because the brain is a very powerful thing. And as it, as it continues, as you think, and as you dwell on things, which would allow people to be lost in their thoughts, uh, you kind of get into a fog, a haze, a daydream, so to speak, and you don't notice what's around you. I mean, it might be some things as simple as, you know, you know, just like I said, bills are child things. And then people also also being afraid of losing things. Maybe you stayed in the book losing what you've achieved. And it might, you know, it might decrease your value in life or it might be deep into those types of things as well. Absolutely. And that that is a reality that most people live under. In fact, I would say oh, everybody lives under that reality to some extent until you begin to awaken to that deepest part within you. And we talked about this last time. You, you told a great story, by the way, Marcus, about when you went to the Redwood Forest here in Northern California, and you were just aware. You just came to a place of awareness of the trees, and you felt the sense of connection with all things. You were there, but you were not lost in your thoughts about having to pay that bill or what would happen if I didn't do this, or, you know, you didn't, you were not lost and you thought you were completely aware. And at that moment, I can guarantee you, you didn't have any fear 
you didn't have any thoughts of fear or guilt or shame or worry or anxiety. You were just present. And that's what we're talking about. And that's when you, at that moment, you felt a peace. And I can guarantee you, if you would have met somebody, if you would have looked at someone, you would have been, if someone, you've seen someone falling down, you would have rushed over to them to help them out. Because you would have been filled with an overwhelming sense of love and care and acceptance and approval of others because you were so present with those trees, if that makes sense. It does. And that kind of segues into your what your story in the book is about um, your 2021 prodigal son, a story inside of uh, your book with the with the Bentley are the, the nice car and his inheritance and how, you know, he, he went on to blow everything and still his father accept him when he came back. Um, it's that awareness of just love, but at, as the son, he still was nervous, it seems like. And afraid to to come back because he didn't know what he would receive, right? Love, the egoic mind interprets love from the point of self. So in order for me to feel like I am worthy of love, I have to perform. I have to do something that is right. What's remarkable about this story is if you actually read it with eyes of a mystic it's a very fascinating story because you have the older brother who was separated from his father he was always there he was always serving the father it was like religion it's like jesus telling a story about the religious person and the non-religious person and both of them were separated from the father one thought he was with the father but he didn't understand the father. He worked in the father's field, but he didn't have any real relationship with the father. He, he assumed that the father was like him, that he had to work to deserve everything that he received. He had to work for it. The one son had squandered everything. He knew he was separated. And the only thing that could save him was to return to that union with his father. He didn't feel like he qualified. He didn't feel like he was enough. But that was the death of his ego. Because he had to die to his ego to go back to his father. What he had done was so scandalous, was so horrific. He had asked for his inheritance before his father's death. And if you think that is bad in today's culture, it was 100 times worse back in those days. It was something you would never do. So for him to come back was an act of total humiliation. And he came back and the response was unconditional love. The older brother who had served, he was also separated. But he was his separation was like religious separation when you actually think you got it all together and you're all doing good. But you don't realize that the father is within you, that you're always secure in the father. You always, when I say the father, I'm talking about that indivisible whole, God, 
God that is love that we're talking about, that you're always secure in that. That is at the very core. You're never separated from it. It's only your mind that is able to separate. It's only the mind that can convince you or can somehow or another make you think that you are separated, but you never are separated from God. So is it like your mind covers up the truth? So you're walking around and as you do certain things, as you uh, condemn yourself more, as you de devalue yourself more, or, or people devalue you, your mind just starts to stack those up on top of the truth, but the truth never goes away. Yes. You are who you are and it can't be changed. The, the, exactly. The your oneness truest is and your there. deepest self, your truest and your deepest self is always connected with God, is always one with God. In fact, your spirit, God, you look at the Bible and biblical texts and other religions, they confirm this as well, that God breathed his spirit into man and became a living being. It, he breathed a part of himself. And Jesus talked about it again. He breathed the Holy Spirit. In other words, you breathe what you are. So who are we at the very core? We are one with God to be the son of God. And I'll talk about that later in the book. To be the son of God meant that you were fully manifesting in this form, in this earthly form or whatever you want to call it in this, this creation. You are manifesting that which you are through your mind and through your physical being. That's what it meant to be a son, a mature son. And so ultimately for all of us, it is to awaken to our, our deepest and truest self that is always one with God. And when you awaken to that, all that you're aware of is love. So the son who came home was his awakening to love when you wrote, but the son knew he messed up. He knew he messed up, yes. but he still had the strength to come back to where he knew real love was. Exactly. Because think about it this way. You know, I talked about the ego interprets love as you have, you got to do something to deserve it. So he came to the end of trying to deserve it. And the moment he came to the end of trying to deserve it, because that's always the ego. That's always the mind. That's always fear speaking that I got to have to do something in order to deserve it. He recognized oh, there's nothing I can do. I just got to go back. I, he returned to unconditional love. That's, that's the story within the story. He returned to the deepest part within himself that is one with God. Yeah, he didn't cease being a son. He's always the son. He's never not going to be the son. He just, it was just covered up with everything, with shame and guilt and and, and all the things that the world throws at you that he just wasn't aware of him still being the son. Exactly. He was always one with God. God, you see, the kingdom of Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And we think always, oh, the, the kingdom of heaven is within you. God is always within each and every one of us. But most of us are not aware of it because we're caught up in egoic thinking that always produces fear that is rooted in separation. In the closing of the chapter, you said, if we want better lives and to enjoy a healthier new earth, our fears must be driven out 
by awakening to love. Our individual and collective happiness, health, and success depend on it. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's it's very simple. You know, I, I said one time, and some people probably were shocked when I said this. I said, you cannot love yourself. Most people try to love themselves. The reason why they don't are not able to love themselves is because they don't feel like they're good enough for love. They feel like they don't qualify. So it's like, think about, you remember these like scale, what do they call this kind of a pendulum scale? You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? So if you put so much weight on one side, then it kind of, the other side is raised and vice versa. So it's like most people feel like in order for me to love myself, I got to try really hard. But if you feel terrible about yourself, you lost your job, you went through a divorce, you lost a family member, you were scolded, something negative happened. Well, you're not going to be able to love yourself because the, you've been weighed down by all the negative stuff. So your ego can never love yourself because the only way your ego will love yourself is if you feel deserving enough. So if you win an award, an Oscar, maybe then for a few moments, you will feel like I deserve love. But even that doesn't last. The only way that you can truly experience and live this kind of life that will change the course of history is to awaken to the deepest part within you, your union with God. And when you awaken to your union with God, what you will experience, what you will be aware of then is this unconditional, selfless, giving love that brings joy and peace into your life. And the more you awaken to that, the more others will also catch it. Others will also see it in you. And the more we open up to that and the more we awaken, the more we will extend kindness and generosity and forgiveness and toward others. When you truly awaken to love, you begin to see yourself in my brother and sister who is different than me. Mm-hmm. rather than demonize them, rather than saying, okay, you know, they're not like me. Fear would say that. Fear likes to keep that separation going. Fear likes to say, you're different than me. How can I trust you? You know, fear has all these kinds of questions because fear will always try to enhance a sense of self. And if they feel threatened by you or by someone who's different than them, it will try to put them down. But love sees myself in another person. I see myself in them because in a way, I am them, if that makes sense. As Jesus said, I was in the naked. I was in the stranger. What you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. Because he saw himself in everyone. And that is ultimately what love is. I want to say thank you very much for uh, explaining this chapter to us, chapter two. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.